1: Hello and welcome, I am so excited. There are certain things that happen in life that are game changers. Uh, When they happen, there's no going back and um, really it's um, evolution of society. And I am so excited to introduce somebody who has made that happen. Um, Through his incredibly courageous actions, He has changed the world starting with the United Kingdom. I'm gonna explain everything very specifically because this is a game changer that literally, literally can mean the difference between life on this planet surviving or not. Uh, We are in a crisis. We are in a climate crisis. We are in a wildlife extinction crisis. And if we don't change as a species, we're finished. So what does that mean? That means essentially going to a plant-based lifestyle. I'm Jane Velez Mitchell, and I am live with an amazing man, an author, and someone who created veganism, as a protected class in the United Kingdom. This is a major breakthrough for our movement. Jordi Casamitjana, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Tell us how you managed to get a court in England to say that veganism, the belief in not killing or using animals, that they have a right to their own lives, is a belief that is a protected class. Those who have it are a protected class and it's it's just like a religion
2: tell us well uh, to be honest i didn't plan this I, I was just a vegan like many other vegans i have been vegan for almost 20 years now working in animal protection trying to help animals all my life and i was working with in, in one particular animal protection organization here in the uk when suddenly i was fired and uh, to cut the story short uh, the, the i concluded that i was fired because I was an ethical vegan. Of course, I, I didn't plan to be fired, but I found that there was an opportunity. I, I had an opportunity there to look into what rights we have, vegans, to the uh, mind not to be discriminated as other people with protected characteristics or religions or, or gender, things like that have. Uh, and I realized at the time that veganism wasn't protected, and it's not protected in any country. Uh, I knew at the time I I wasn't aware of any country protecting it. However, I also realized that in the UK, it could be protected. It could be protected if a case was taken to court. And in my case, my case was going to be the first. And the way that in the UK works, it is an Equality Act, Equality Act 2010, is the one that says that the characteristics are protected, and among the characteristics that they are uh, uh, listed, one is religion or philosophical belief, meaning a non-religious belief. But it doesn't really define what is a a non-religious belief. That's for the judges to do that. So every time there is somebody claiming such belief, A judge has to look into that belief, see a series of uh, check, a series of characteristics that were already determined in a higher core a few years back and check whether that belief qualifies. And once that happens, then it qualifies for all those that share that belief. Nobody had done that with veganism, in particular with ethical veganism, not just veganism as a diet, but veganism as a philosophy. Therefore, I was going to be the first. I didn't plan that, but I realized, well, I'm the right person to do this because I know a lot about law. I'm a proper vegan, Being a vegan for many years. I just need to go and prove to the judge that is does qualify. So I had to go and gather the evidence, get a lawyer get an expert in discrimination law and, and gather the evidence. I produced more than 1,500 pages of evidence and it kind of worked. The judge looked at the evidence and he was so convinced that didn't even ask me any question when I was given the testimony in court. He's, he had read everything, the 1,200 pages the day before, and, and he just said I was overwhelmingly convinced that veganism did fulfill all the six or seven characteristics that are set by law. And since then, veganism has become a protected philosophical belief in the UK under the Equality Act.
1: So, I have so many questions. First of all, Uh, The organization, which was an anti-hunting organization, was investing, according to published reports and your claims in court, its pension fund in companies, the pension fund was invested in companies that test on animals. Most pension funds do. So in other words, they were just doing the, the usual pension fund route, and you said, hey, Uh, we're an animal rights organization, we shouldn't be investing in companies that test on animals. They apparently did not contest that. They uh, said, yeah, you're right. And they have since changed their policy. Um, Meanwhile, you saw an opportunity to take this. It's so ironic that a case against an animal rights group results in like you couldn't plan it better in a way by doing that, they serve the greater cause of Um, advancing animal rights. So my question to you is um, you were fired and then you said you were fired because you had this belief that animals should not be tested on. And as a vegan, we should not use animals. We shouldn't test on them. We shouldn't eat them. We shouldn't wear them. them. We shouldn't use them in entertainment. That is your belief system. It's my belief system. It's the belief system of vegans in general. Mm -hmm. And so you said that you were fired because you were expressing that belief system. And uh, basically it was an inconvenient truth that nobody wanted to look at. So you took that to court and you said, I've been discriminated against as i ve- I'm just trying to make sure I understand this right. I've been discriminated against because I'm a vegan and uh, the judge agreed with you. Has it had implications in uh, British society? For example, I remember when I was in high school, I got a job, a summer job, as a waitress. And I tried to convince people not to order hamburgers and I was fired. (laughs) They walked me right out of the place. And uh, uh, now if I was a protected class, right? Hypothetically, If I, in the same scenario, and I say, no, I'm not going to, I really don't think you should eat animals. It's unnecessary. There's some great salads and beautiful vegan um, options here that you can order instead. And I was fired for that. That would be something I could say, you're discriminating against me based on my belief system. I mean, it would change the entire world. You know, uh, people could say, I don't want to wear that uniform. It has leather shoes. Um, I, I mean, everything would change immediately. So, what have the implications been in Great Britain since this court this court decision, which I read about? It was a headline in the Washington Post. I mean, this is a huge, huge development, Jordy.
2: Yes, uh, 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 it was all over the world, actually. It was in, in more than 1,500 websites in 67 countries. So it was really the news of the world. But before going to, into the implications, let me uh, clarify a little bit the beginning of your summary because there were kind of a couple of things just to clarify first. Uh, the organization did contest it initially. It, they did say the veganism was not a protective belief. That's why I could take it to court. Had they not contested initially, I might not have been able to do that. However, when I had to share the the evidence to them, because there's a process called disclosure in which you shared information with the other side, then they realized the weight of the evidence and they then uh, uh, accepted the case, uh, considered the case, which meant that was going to be the end of that part of the case. But the judge said, hold on, I'm not going to accept this concession because this is a very important issue for many vegans. I want to look into it because all the vegans are affected. So thanks to the judge who realized of the implications of this case, the case continued, even if there was a concession. And then the the judge was able to declare it uh, protectively for all vegans that share my belief, of course. One means shame, I believe. I use the term ethical veganism. Well, uh, in in my court case, what I said is ethical veganism is that one who follows the definition of the Vegan Society of what veganism is, which means uh, being uh, against uh, all types of exploitation, not just for diet. Therefore, anybody following that definition has the same philosophy, and I, and everybody is protected. What are the implications? The implications now are that if anybody has been discriminated both in the workplace, but also in public and private services, a hospital, a hotel, uh, uh, school, prisons, then they have the, the chance to win in court because they can use my case as a president. We, like in the United States, have a common law system. So president, does so change the law and therefore they can use my case which is a low-level case but it hasn't been appealed therefore it kind of uh, has become established then they, they they are likely to win if they if they can' prove that the belief was the reason of discrimination which of course that's a difficult thing in the court case what is the reason but that means implications loads there's a lot of schools that are already providing vegan to the vegan people without having to fight for it as it was before the fire brigade the fire service now if you're a vegan firefighter you got provided an equipment that is already without leather uh what automatically that's also happened because of my case and there's many advice from hr companies to their own employers to their own clients which are basically employers already say, look, you need to change the way you treat your vegans, you need to provide a fridge for them This is necessary, you need to listen to what they need, you can't just dismiss them. So the the strongest effect has been a deterrent, the fact that many employers are already changing without the need to go into court or be challenged, because they realize if they go to court, they're going to lose. So there's been a lot of changes, but unfortunately, the pandemic started when I... When I finished my case, I was not able to collect in a form of statistics, what are the effects, but many people have been communicating to me, saying, look, I've been asking for soya milk in my company for years, and after your case, next day, I got it. And things like that, the anecdotal com- uh, uh, stories, but they all show that is a real change, The vegans are benefit directly from this.
1: Uh, I think this is absolutely fantastic. And as a vegan, I've had so many of these experiences Um, For example, uh, if something was organized under my name at a a previous workplace, any of them, I did not want any animal products served. And uh, there were battles. And I literally was in tears where chicken was ordered all around me. And then I was told, oh, there's a vegan option for you, which in fact there wasn't even. And I thought they're killing chickens in my name. And I just, I was so horrified and I literally had to leave the table and call a friend because, you know, there's only so much you can do within the corporate world to affect change without getting thrown out. You know that, (laughs) (laughs) then you end up with a lawsuit and I'm not a a sewer, I've never sued anybody. Um, So, uh, you know, um, it's such an incredible like new horizon that you have opened for vegans. Now, unfortunately for this case, England is no longer part of the European Union, right? So it doesn't apply to the entire European Union. But has your case had implications in other European countries? Um, in other words, in countries in Europe, as a
2: geographic um, entity? Well, there are not legal implications, like as you said, these different countries. Even if we were still in Europe, it still would not apply because obviously the laws in the UK only apply in the UK or the laws in France or the play in France, Uh, but what it does is inspire any other campaigners or any other vegans in in each of these countries to to realize that they they could achieve the same thing I have achieved. I think the most important achievement I made, rather than the actual legal case, because for me it's a non-brainer, of course it's a philosophical belief. How, How can it not be? But the important thing is that everybody understood it, There was a lot of publicity. Everybody talked about it. And therefore, everybody realized that there was a chance for them to do it. There was not a barrier there that was uh, impossible to overcome. If I could do it in the UK, anybody could do it anywhere. And I've been approached by people from other countries that they didn't tell me, yeah, I want to do this. What I need to do. All the evidence I collected is available for everyone. They can use the same evidence. It's already there. It's all public. And they can just go and do the same. Okay,
1: I have a question from Sarah, but I want to know if you have some kind of clearinghouse website where you take people through the steps. Because one of the things that I've seen over and over again as a journalist, and I just dealt with this with the summit we did, everybody's got great ideas, great ideas. And it's like, wait a second, where's the central clearinghouse where I can look at all of this and download the information? So if if I thought I had a case similar to yours in some other country, I could download all, all this information, call a lawyer, say, here's your template put together a lawsuit based on this and go at it. But if if there isn't that 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 clearinghouse where all this information is downloadable on the web, then it kind of goes into the ether. Answer
2: that question then we'll get to the call. Yeah, no, there isn't any because the jurisdictions change from place to place and it would be impossible to have a, a, a temporary no, no, Let me tell you something if there's one thing
1: I can tell you Jordy because you are brilliant, you're a genius. I think you have been uh, this, this what you've done and we're gonna get to your book and all the other things you've done, but share your wisdom. It may not be done perfectly, but create that website where people can go and get a foothold. Nobody should have to reinvent the wheel. This is the thing that we're seeing over and over again. People are want to do the same thing, but they don't have a roadmap and they need a roadmap. Um, even if it's a different country, Lawyers can can extrapolate, just like each state in the United States has different rules and lawyers. Well, while I'm not licensed to practice law in California, I'm in Florida, they work. Those are there are workarounds for those things. But to have the essential arguments and the template somewhere is so powerful. I promise you that people will use that and jump off and start um, coming up with their own iterations of it. Let's go to Sarah. Are, Are you still there, Sarah? A question or thought?
3: Oh, hi. Yes. I'm really glad that you're having this show today because I think a lot of people have experienced this. I myself personally was told when I was a teacher, once I went vegan, and of course I wanted to talk about it, I uh, was told by the principal not to talk about it. it. actually sent me an email in writing and specifically told me not to talk about it. I just thought that was kind of ludicrous because it's lifestyle medicine, if you think about it. Being vegan is just about your lifestyle and not doing anything cruel. So I'm not sure why people would not want you to talk about being kind, right? Seems kind of weird. So my there, question because is, they're you know, eating animals and they law, don't want
1: to put in
3: there, Okay, here's my question. It, if there is a let's say somebody gets fired in the US from their job, like happened happen to you in in UK, is there something where, you know, let's say you're in a lawsuit and like in lawyers they have these cases like Roe versus Wade and all these big cases let's say there was a big case that you could use, wouldn't that be good? Like, shouldn't we have like that, you know how like Anita had the pig trial? We need something like that here so that
1: we can say, hey. You're talking my language. What Jordy did is a template, a blueprint, a roadmap um, for what needs to happen in every country around the world, particularly in the United States of America. Um, I'm sure that there's been some cases that are similar, um, but uh, I don't know of any, I'd have to do the research. That's why I'm saying that the central clearinghouse is the most important thing. I'll give you an example uh we just had a summit with the rowdy girl sanctuary the rancher advocacy program evolving beyond animal agriculture and we had experts from all around the world not just the united states sweden the united kingdom ireland um uh, we had people from everywhere and uh so we were talking about veganic farming and uh people in the united states were like uh the the american panelists well Yes, veganic farming, which involves using no animal products, even in the fertilizer. So there's no manure from animals. There's no body parts. But, well, how do we do that? We need a template. Well, then the guy from Sweden, who's a farmer, goes, wait a second. There's already a website in Sweden called biocyclicvegan.org. And it has all the information. And we're doing it. And we're very organized. And it's happening in Europe, all over the place. And we were all like, what? How exciting. So right there, that resource can be used, even though obviously conditions in Sweden are different than conditions in uh, Georgia, um, that that resource then becomes a temp- something that everybody around the world who's interested in veganic farming can look at and learn from. Ditto for you. Um, I, I think what you've done is so powerful, so amazing, uh, that literally... It needs to be copied around the world. Obviously, it's going to be copied differently depending on the country, the laws, or the state, or whatever. But there's enough of the central arguments, the commonalities. So a lawyer trying to do this doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. They can read your material and then pull what they want. And uh, I would urge you to do that, Jordy.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not against it. I would love to have the research and do it properly. Or if an organization wants to do it and wants to hire me to do it with them, I'm there, I'm looking for a job still because the pandemic didn't allow me to find yeah, one. Yeah. Yes, I have the knowledge, limited, I'm not a lawyer, but I have knowledge of the experience. I've also been working campaigning for a long time because one of the things to, to notice or to realize is there are two ways to look at this. One is to do it exactly as I did, which it means use the existing law in the state and the country and see how you can use it. But the other is, if that law doesn't exist, create the law. So it's a campaign part of it to modify existing laws, to make it possible to incorporate philosophical belief. Some laws don't accept philosophical beliefs, only establish religions. Then that needs to be changed to amplify that remit into other beliefs that are not religious. Once that's done, then this is easy to do. So these two dimensions, one is the campaigning to change the law when there is no appropriate law in the area, or to use the existing laws with whatever people have been involved in, in discrimination. And these are kind of very different, but I do have a lot of experience in campaigning, so I could also uh, kind of support any organizations that will try to change the law, as many already are doing. In Spain, there is a group we doing this. In Italy, somebody contacted me. At the moment, people, as they know me because they see me everywhere, if they are starting in a process like that, they will get in touch with me. I give them any information I have. But yeah, it will be good to have a single place or a single organization or a single group of people, in, including lawyers, expert lawyers from their several countries, just to get all, all our expertise together and do this in a much more effective way. Yeah, I agree.
1: Well, yes, and it dovetails with other things that are happening that Jane and Jane's involved When We've got to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're staying live on Facebook.
0: sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of Voice It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to Jane Unchained News at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: We are so honored to have Jordi Casamajana on from London And he is the man who got veganism, declared a protected class in the courts in England. This is huge um, because now if you uh, fire somebody for being vegan, Uh, They have a legal recourse in the United Kingdom. So it puts it on a par with religion, with sexual orientation, uh, with uh, all sorts of discrimination against people based on their race, their ethnicity, their gender, their sexual orientation, and now their belief in veganism. And so what we're talking about is how we can expand his court victory around the globe Uh, You have, Jordi, you've written a book. Can you hold it up and tell us about your book and a little bit about your journey?
2: Yes, this is the book. It's called Ethical Vegan. As you can see, a personal and political journey to change the world. And kind of the title says what was intention behind. It all began with my legal case. So basically, immediately after I won the legal case, a publisher approached me and told me, you have a story to tell. Yes. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I do have a story to tell about my case. People want to hear about this. But I also want to talk about veganism in general because I've been trying to find books that talk about the history, and things like that. and could not find them. And also I want to talk about the future. There are many things I wanted to talk about. And I thought, let's put it all together in, in, in these three stories. One is the story of my life, how I become vegan and how I work in animal protection for my entire life. The other is the story of my case. The other is the story of veganism as a concept. Uh, and, and, and essentially, I, I kind of wrote it in 400, uh, sorry, in four months during the pandemic. Thanks to the pandemic, I was was able to write continuously all day. uh, And and, in just a few months, this December was published uh, already. And it's it's an interesting book from the point of view that is useful for vegans as well, because vegans, we often think we know everything, but there's always more things to learn. And I looked into things that I could not find before, like the whole history in different countries and different eras, because veganism is not a modern thing. It's been happening for ages in different names or different degrees. And I look into that, also look at all the types of vegans they are. People define themselves as vegans, but there are many different types and see this anthropology of veganism and also kind of practicalities of it, and all intertwined with my own personal story of how I I became vegan and what are the things that made me uh, the person I am today. So it's a bit of an identity journey as well.
1: Now I know you have done incredible things, undercover investigations, uh, huge victories against zoos, bullfights. Um, And um, I just was reminded when I was a child, my parents took me to Spain and they were going to go into a bullfight. And I, I was a tiny, I was like nine. I said, hell no, we're not going in here. And we didn't go in. And, uh, it's just so horrifying that it's been glorified by writers like Ernest Hemingway, et cetera. But uh, I hope it's on the decline. I can only imagine that it has to be, um, but it's, it's barbaric and medieval. Uh, what did you achieve? Tell us your story. I know we only have a little bit of time. Uh, you know, you could talk for hours about your incredible mm-hmm. journey, but give us, give us the, um, the cliff notes.
2: Well, essentially, I'm a zoologist. So I, I, my expertise is my scientist is specialized in animal behavior, what is also called an ethologist. And uh, the, the whole my whole journey started in Catalonia. I was born in Catalonia, uh, which at the time was in the 60s. That was uh, under a fascist regime of the General Franco, was a dictatorship, uh, and therefore, as a Catalan, there was an oppressed culture. Within, within that regime, I felt the, the, already the feeling of oppression. And I think that was a, 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 my, my sympathy with any other oppressed creature in the world. And that, I think that was my first understanding that this world is wrong. There are many things that need to be changed and there are many creatures that need to be helped because I felt the oppression. So that was my political first political introduction to the concept of oppression, but then becoming a scientist and starting animals started to realize how unfair it was the way the people were treating them because the more I look into them, the more they, they seem similar to humans that, that most people assume and more unfairly treated. Then I thought, well, research is not enough. I need to do more. I need to protect them. And I couldn't do it in Catalonia. So I decided to emigrate. I traveled trying to find a place to settle, eventually landing up in the UK. And I, could, I found that's the place where I could develop my career because there's a lot of good tradition of animal protection organizations in the UK. And I started to work uh, sometimes as a freelance investigator, sometimes as a campaigner in an organization, on different aspects of animal protection. One of them was bullfighting. Once I was in the UK, I was managed I managed to work in, in bullfighting in all the countries in the world. There are nine countries that have bullfighting at the moment. And go there and try to stop bullfighting, uh, and, and uh, with very uh, good successes in many places. For instance, in Catalonia, where I, where I was born, I managed to ban bullfighting. It's been banned since 2010. We obviously not by myself with all the local groups, but I was part of that campaign. In in Colombia, there's been a a lot of advances there, many places in Portugal. In all the places, for years, I was traveling in all these places, trying to galvanize the the movement, make it international. But also hunting for a time uh, in the UK, fox hunting was banned, but fox hunters continued doing it. So there was a lot of need to investigate and prosecute the illegal hunters and the first prosecutions under the new law, the bound hunting, the hunting Act 2004, were prosecutions uh, organized by me. So I was all, all, the, managed to prosecute the first the, the first illegal hunters under this new law in the UK. And zoos, I worked for anti-captivity for a while as well for, for the Boundary Foundation and other organizations. And, we, we, and among the campaigns, we were trying to expose the world zoos and try to close them down. And I managed to close five zoos among them Glasgow Zoo, that was a big zoo. So these uh, were kind of the highlights of my past life, but uh, obviously the current one has been my success in in my legal case for veganism and my book. But in the end, what I always try to do is minimize the harm I'm making to the world, to myself, to other humans and to other sentient beings. And at the same time, trying to help those that are more in need. And in my case, the animals that I encountered the bulls in the bullfighting, the the uh, foxes in hunting, and they, these are the ones that I could uh, manage to help at least a little bit. But that's not the end of it. My life is not over. Obviously, I want to carry on trying to help all animals that I, if I if I can. So that's kind of, you know, in a nutshell, my my life. Wow!
1: Uh, how absolutely fantastic! And what I what I see in you is something I wish was in every single activist. Relentless? Do the next indicated thing. People put a lot of energy into complaining. I can do it too. Oh, this should be different, that should be different. But what I see uh, amongst the most effective activists is they don't just say that. They say, what exactly can I do, even though I don't know that it's gonna be successful or that I'm gonna get to the finish line, but what's the next indicated thing to do if I would want to stop this, which I do, and then do it. This is something that when I see it in somebody, I go, yes, because talking about something doesn't solve it. It's the actions that solve it. And so you are the really uh, ideal example of that. I mean, you took it to the next level. It's like uh, I I don't know anything about sports, but since the Super Bowl was (laughs) just happened, you know, you you have to get to the finish line. You got to get to that next uh, that next yard line. You can't just uh, toss the ball back and forth. We have to get to a conclusion. You did that in England. And the question is, how do we get that done around the United States? So you've said to me, getting back to your incredible court case, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Jordi Casamagana. He is in London. I am in Los Angeles. But we share the belief that veganism should be a protected class and that a person's belief that animals are not here to be warned, to be eaten, to be tortured, to be experimented on, to become... Couches, or car seats or sent into outer space or um, put into uh, vials and uh, made to swim till they collapse, that that belief is a legitimate belief that needs to be protected and people cannot be discriminated against based on having that belief. Now, if that were to be a universal uh, law, let's say, Um, where you can't discriminate against people for being vegan, just consider the implications. A worker at a coffee shop could say, I do not want to serve cow's milk. Cows are tortured, which they are. The baby, they're forcibly impregnated. The babies are ripped away from the mothers. The boys are either shot or put in veal crates. The the babies, the, the females are put in little hutches. The mothers are sent to be turned into cheap hamburger after a couple of years and the daughters replace the mothers. It's a, it's a morally reprehensible system. So if a person who's working at a coffee shop says, I'm a vegan, I don't want to serve cow's milk or a fried egg. All the boys are uh, ground up alive. They don't need male chicks. They put them in macerators and um, they grind them up alive right after they're born uh, because they only need the females. If they say, I'm not going to serve an egg, I'm not going to serve cow's milk, and they're fired, that's discrimination. That would be monumental. So getting back to England where you got this veganism as a protected class, is there another lawsuit that is more, um, I would say, granular about these everyday issues that is on the horizon? I'm sure every day vegans, uh, I mean, here I'm in LA. Actresses call me and say, "Oh my God, I got a job, and I got to pay my rent." And uh, it's it's an animal. It's a fast food commercial, and they want me to eat a hamburger. I'm I'm in crisis every day. Vegans face this.
2: Uh, I'm not aware of this any. It might be because obviously I'm not aware of all the, the legal cases, and people obviously keep, keep the legal cases for themselves. But what, I, I think what what is more important in the case of the UK, and it should be in general for any case in any in, in any country where a law like this uh, is been modified by, by by a particular case, is the deterrent effect. So, you don't want to be spending a lot of money. My case took two years of litigation and I had to crowdfund uh, because I could not pay the legal fees. Not everybody can afford the, uh, uh, to spend that much time without the job and also uh, kind of without the money because I was lucky that many didn't support me, but the next case perhaps is not going to be like that. So, it's more effective that has and the deterrent effects to preventing the discrimination without having to go to court. What so far what I've been looking I've seen is that. That has happened. There's many people that have been discriminated that before they would just shut up and, and accept it. That now they tell me that they, they managed to be successful without having to go to court because by communicating the story of my case to the employers, the employers realize that the better chance they waste because there, was, uh, there would be a big chance to lose if they end up in court. But it might be a bigger case beyond my, my, my case where it might be the next step. And of course, the next step might uh, might not be related to discrimination, might be related to bigger things like banning particular products that are coming from animal exploitation in, in public bodies, for instance, or making the default meal in any public body vegan meal. And then if you want anything else, then you have to be the one asking for a change. At the moment is the other way around. So there are things that could be achieved policy wise beyond my case that uh, so the the, the the sky's the limit in a way. I was the first one. I opened the door of policy, moving into policy, not just campaigning, not just convincing other people to become bigger. Now we're moving into work of changing the law, creating laws and rules and regulations. And this is a huge world. And I just opened a little door, but now it's everybody's chance to go through and open their own doors and make them bigger.
1: Well, I also see just thinking about it, um uh creating a template for human resources. Every company has human resources. And, you know, um, well, I graduated from college in 1977, and it was um, a little bit more of a Wild West. (laughs) You know, in the news business, people were smoking under the desk while they were, and even sometimes drinking. And uh, then uh, it gradually became more and more corporate, corporate and serious. And things became much more politically correct, which is good. I mean, there's no reason to be smoking and drinking under a news desk. Uh, and uh, so the um, behavior gets more and more refined as these kinds of cases happen. And um, uh, I mean, down to, I remember I'm a loudmouth, and I would, uh, for years, when I was coming up, people would kind of yell across the room, Hey, get me, you know, get me a rewrite. And I'll never forget. Somebody came up to me and said, don't yell at me. And I was like, yell at you. Oh, cause I'm calling out. I was like, Oh, I'm, that's being perceived as yelling at someone, which with me, people have always told me my whole life, stop yelling at me. And I'm like, I just talk loud. But mm-hmm. the point is that I started to realize the corporate culture is now everything's emailed and to call out to somebody is being perceived as yelling. So these things are becoming very nuanced. What about creating a template for human resources to deal with vegan employees so that they can avoid problems but it would also set the standard where somebody can't say, no, you have to sit at a dinner table with a bunch of people eating dead animals, which makes you sick to your stomach, and you've got to pretend that you're enjoying this because that's just the way it is.
2: But you're right, and that has already happened. The Vegan Society did produce immediately after my case was successful, it produced a leaflet, a PDF, which can be printed as well, for the employers, specifically to tell the employers what they need to do now that my case been successful. And it's a very useful document that anybody can go and should send it obviously in the UK. Uh, should send it to their employers so they are aware about the new changes in, in, because of my case and what they can do, which way they can treat vegans. And of course, a similar leaflet or similar document could be produced for other jurisdictions. But this was definitely a consequence of my case because immediately after my case happened, the Vegan Society, which actually supported me a lot in my case, even economically when I, did, I could not pursue it further. So the, they did immediately realize this opportunity and they produced this document. So that document, at least in the UK context, does exist
1: is there a united kingdom just like we found out uh, with this summit that we did a global summit that europe is way ahead of us on veganic farming um is there a and i understand that britain is no longer part of the european union unfortunately or fortunately whatever i don't want to get into that but it's it's not but is there um an organization that covers the entire european union Um, that could institute something for all the countries. In other words, you wouldn't have to just go and get this done in Germany and in France and in uh, Belgium and in Luxembourg. I mean, you could do it as a European Union thing.
2: Not that I'm aware, there are organisations that deal with plant-based diet, for instance, only rather than the concept of veganism that do have a presence in several countries. There are organisations that deal with veganism that only have a presence in one particular country. But there is an, one that covers the concept of veganism throughout the European Union. It would be good that uh, that one was created. At the moment, there isn't one. You don't have any. Well, the other solution would be to create a coalition between each of the national. Uh, ones and try to work together on things like that. That is technically possible. But the the UK has two or three big organizations that deal with veganism, that they could also get together, try to work together. But I would say the Vegan Society, being the, the, the one that created the concept, the word vegan, was created by the Vegan Society in 1944, although it's centrally based in the UK, has this general role of being the the kind of responsible of, of veganism as a whole. And, and and But they don't have an offices in each country. They're still very much centered in the UK. But they could, if they wanted to, perhaps try to become a, a much more of an ambassador to other countries to standardize something uh, similar to what you suggested. It's the closest organization I think that could do that.
1: Uh, I, I am just so fascinated by what you've accomplished. And I think that it shows that one person one human being when they are determined and they say this is morally wrong and there are there have been this these people obviously throughout history Gandhi Harriet Tubman and and many many others but one person standing up and saying this is morally wrong we have to do something about it uh can achieve more than uh 10,000 people who are half-hearted and who you know it, getting them to hit the share button and please share this video out if you're watching on facebook even getting somebody to hit a share button is an exercise you you really do epitomize like what people need to be doing in animal activism what's next for jordy
2: well i'm open to whatever life brings me this one thing i want to do help more animals have more vegans help the planet I only want to work in planet Earth. I'm not planning to go to other planets at the moment. Uh, I don't have more than probably uh, several decades to life. I'll do as much as I can. So far it's been successful. I hope it's going to be more. But I open to to just to promote more the concept of veganism because what I see now that is, a lot of people being vegan and perhaps not using the word veganism, using plant-based or we're not being quite sure about the definition. That's why I wrote the book. I thought, well, we need some foundations here, because we have this simple word and this simple philosophy, which is quite old. As we know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's already there. We just need to promote it more. People should be feeling proud of you vegan, people should be having vegan uh, t-shirts without fear of being discriminated or or being uh, accused of being too pushy. And, And I think the idea of people embracing the concept of veganism and this concept becoming a universal thing for all cultures, for all nations, until we have the vegan world that is the world that we all want, this is a nice goal to fight for. And I think I would like to contribute to that wall in any shape and form. And you can can see a diagram behind me. This is a diagram, which is at the back of my book about what needs to happen to get that vegan wall. Each of these bubbles there is one thing that somebody could work on that thing, somebody else work in the other bubble. But all together, if we just do our little little bit, we'll manage to get to that wall where we do no harm to the planet, to all the sentient beings and to ourselves. And I want to just try to carry on contributing to that dream. Well, I have to tell you that
1: um, I've been working with another visionary who has created a mission, a goal, to create a vegan world by 2026. Dr. Silas Rao of climatehealers.org. Write it down, because climatehealers.org has... Uh, truly got the information. And I see you two working together, absolutely. In fact, I have a meeting with him later this afternoon. And um, essentially he is a systems analyst who's a Stanford PhD. You can read all, you can see all his work. I did a documentary on him. Let me find it, here we go. Uh, Because everybody should uh, check this out. It's on Amazon. Countdown to year zero. And I believe you can get it in England. I'm not sure, but please check it out and let me know. Countdown to Year Zero is an award-winning documentary that was produced by Jane Unchained that showcases the work of Dr. Silas Rao, who is a systems analyst and engineer. And he says, we have to create a vegan world and we've got to do it by 2026 because if we continue at this rate, there will be no essentially no wildlife vertebrates, no wild animals except for insects and maybe squirrels or rats left on planet Earth by 2026. That's how quickly we are wiping out wildlife with habitat destruction, uh, primarily for cattle grazing and to grow crops to feed farm animals who are 80 billion a year that we're killing, eating far more than humans who are only 7.8 billion humans. Um, So he, as an engineer, uh, has convergences. He's broken down the problem into uh, different sectors and he's creating task forces to address those sectors. So it seems like you two should definitely work together because um, you both have, well, we all have the same goal, but the thing that I recognize that you have and he has, you're both breaking down the problem into uh, digestible chunks, which is the whole point. And so, I, I want to see everybody get together because mm-hmm. if you're working on something and he's also working on something in a different area, perhaps you can work together. So I will definitely introduce you. And um, I, I do feel like um, the the um, knowledge that you bring of your experience has to be replicated around the country and uh, around the United States and around the world. Uh, it's just... Um, have have your attorneys given you any, um, thoughts on where this could go next? I mean, there's an old saying case closed, you know, but really is it ever closed? I covered criminal trials for many years and there are certain big cases that just come back over and over and over in different iterations and manifestations, uh, usually involving big celebrities, but the same, the same thing applies here.
2: Uh, no, because obviously they—they they were employment tribunal lawyers. They—they they were only looking at my case. They were not. My case wasn't motivated by them. They were the ones that I chose. But I think the issue itself—it—it it, it, as I said earlier opens doors to for the next thing. And I think the next thing is perhaps going to the public services. They've been for instance in Portugal, I don't know if you're aware, in Portugal they did manage to pass a law in 2017 that all makes compulsory for public services to provide vegetarian and vegan meals when they produce food. And this is the first country that has created the law like that. Uh, that, that doesn't come from a litigation, it comes just for lobbying and getting the, the politicians to vote for it. Mm-hmm. So that could happened in the UK could happen in other places. I think the next step would be going beyond employment into the public services and trying just to uh, standardize, normalize veganism. So make uh, make it go beyond what is an exception or what is uh, the beliefs of a minority to a standard response to the problems of the world. And, and and countries and policies and, and governments should realize that they don't have to become vegan to create policies that are vegan compatible and not just for the sake of helping vegans for the sake of everybody else's. And when there is this realization that we vegans fight for everybody else's, we don't not fighting for us. we're fighting for the animals, from the environment and everybody else's. that if that's recognized because my case start to remove the stigma and and try and start to make uh, make us look as a serious group of people looking for this planet, that's open doors to dialogue, and these dialogues should lead to changes of policy. So I think there is no limit. All policies can develop better towards that vegan world, and it could start for anywhere. It doesn't have to be a particular order. Whatever opportunity arrives, look what happened to me. I was fired. I didn't design that. But my success was in seizing the opportunity, using my knowledge and experience, and seizing the opportunity. We need to pay attention to everyone in the world and at one point in one corner, opportunity will arise. And then we need to seize it. This is what we need to do. That's
1: absolutely true. And also, I always believe you never know what's good news or what's bad news, or you rarely do. Um, what seems on its face as bad news, you're fired, turned out to be great news. And I've had that experience many, well, not many times. I can't say I've been fired many times, but I've been fired a number of times. You know, some a show runs its course. And at first you think it's bad news and then it turns out to be the best news because the next thing that comes along is even better. And so um, I, I think that's another. I believe that very strongly. I also believe in the law of unintended consequences. And I feel we're due for that. I mean, Look, uh, the pandemic has woken up a lot of people. It is a zoonotic illness, something that the news media, which is advertiser-based, Meat Dairy Pharmaceuticals, doesn't like to talk about. That's why I'm so happy to be able to talk about it on Voice America Radio, and I always thank our executive producer, Tacey Trump, as well as Andrew in the control room. Um, But this is the conversation that should be had on the major networks, and it's not being had because they're bought and paid for by their advertisers who um, would collapse if people went plant-based. So uh, uh, with the exception of occasional, like the New York Times just did an undercover investigation, a story, um, I believe it was Nicholas Kristof uh, did an opinion piece on a undercover investigation by Mercy for Animals into uh, chickens at a major, major big box store. Uh, and uh, it was a uh, explosive. But then at the same time, the New York Times does recipes for chicken for Super Bowl. (laughs) You know, so um, I'm sort of going all over the map here. But getting back to um, what you could do while I was talking to you, I've just been texting my friends who are lawyers, who are vegan lawyers and who um, would... Is there a I know there's Animal Legal Defense Fund, which is an incredible organization here, which I support and which works on a lot of cases. I'm wondering if there's an international uh, legal group that combines lawyers from all around the world uh, so that they can take law cases in one country and apply them to
2: another country. Do you know anything about that? No, and I thought it. Sh- I, I think it should be. I think now is the time to create something like that because uh, there is an international animal rights, uh, uh, sorry, vegan rights alliance that has existed and now it's been incorporated into the vegan society. Uh, but th- this is not necessarily a group of lawyers. This is a group of people with expertise on rights. But I, I think the next step after that is just yeah, just get a group of lawyers. Uh, from different countries, from different uh, legal systems, that they develop the concept of vegan rights uh, with the uh, idea that by defending vegans, we defending the animals. So it's not just defending vegans because there's well, another group of people that wants to uh, to be defended, just because we have a mission to help others. And on mission, if we are successful, the longer, the more vegans we have, the longer they stay vegans, the more chances that we get to the vegan world sooner. So there is a benefit for everyone uh, to uh, to defend vegans and to give them the resources so they can live a proper life and survive. So the idea of vegans, vegans' rights Uh, hasn't been developed yet, and and, uh, neither uh, individually or as an organization point of view. And I think that is something, again, that my case might open the door for the creation of something like that. I can't hear you. I'm sorry,
1: my dog was barking and I muted myself for a second. Uh, My my poor dog went blind and he's, uh, he's very vocal, but he's so smart, my gosh, the way he has adapted. It's just a testament to how intelligent animals are. I don't think I would be able to navigate my apartment the way he has in such a short period of time. Uh, and uh, I, I, what I like what you're saying is we we can talk about animal rights, but now we're also talking about vegan rights. It's an entire new movement, vegan rights movement. And you heard it here first, the vegan <laughs> rights movement. I'm sure people have said that before, but. In terms of uh, branding a phrase, the vegan rights movement is a great brand for us to encapsulate the concept. In other words, people need a brand uh, in order to really get a concept. And I'm writing this down, vegan rights, because we talk about animal rights, and we talk about veganism, but now we're talking about the rights of people who are vegan, and that's the vegan rights movement. And that's where I see you taking it to the next level. Jordy, I could talk to you all day long. I want to, I want to talk to you on the phone. So let's, Mm -hmm. let's connect because I think the work you're doing is extraordinary. I'm very excited by it. Please everybody support Jordy by getting his book. Hold it up one more time, please. Here. There it is, Ethical Vegan. And uh, there's a uh, link where you can buy it. on the intro to this uh, story. So thank you so much. Wow. Very, very exciting.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern time and 10 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Influencers channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.